Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. In many ways, that's the theme of what we'll be looking at today from Romans 13. We'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans 13. We'll be reading God's Word, Romans 13, verses 7 through 14, under the heading of How to Fulfill the Law. How to Fulfill the Law from Romans 13, beginning in verse 7. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word from Romans 13, verse 7. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And for the commandments... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of God. May we receive it with a believing heart. Beloved congregation, you have probably noticed, as I have in our day, that we prize love over law. That we prize love over law. This Wednesday, coming Wednesday, is Valentine's Day. Right, fellas? And if you were to watch a romantic movie... It's often suggested that you need to break the law. Break the rules for the sake of love. You need to run away from mom and dad for the sake of love. You need to disobey your boss. Disobey your school. Disobey the elders for the prize of love. Love trumps all. Well, the problem with this view is that it sets up law and love as if they are incompatible, and that is unbiblical. See, in our Scripture passage today, the Apostle Paul does not set up law and love as opposites. In fact, in Paul's mind, law and love are not mutually exclusive. In fact, it's the reverse. Love fulfills the law of God. In fact, love and law go together. Make no mistake about it. There is a connection between law and love. God's law does not hinder love. God's law actually promotes it. And what this means, young people then, to break the law is not true love. Young people, do you hear me today? 
to break the law is not true love. Sneaking around behind mom and dad's back so that you can be with your sweetheart, it's not true love. Committing adultery, some people will say, I did it out of true love. No, that's not true love. Disobeying the elders because of love, that's not true love. Instead, what the Apostle Paul teaches is that if we love someone, we will obey God's law. You could even say that the law teaches us how to love. If you want to know how to love your spouse, if you want to know how to love your brother or your sister, you want to know how to love your neighbor, you should look to God's law. The law will show you how to love. You see what Paul is saying. If you want to know how to love, true love, you need to look to God. And you'll find it. For God is love. And so what we'll see this morning is the Apostle Paul wants to encourage the Roman church and to encourage us today as well that we need to love our neighbor continually by looking to God. And we need to serve Jesus supremely. Look to Him. He's coming again soon. First, let's notice that first thing. Love your neighbor continually. The Apostle Paul is picking up again on that theme of love. Five times in this first paragraph here, beginning in verse 8, he refers to love. Beginning in chapter 12, he has taught us how to love our fellow believers. That's chapter 12, verse 10. That we are to love strangers. That's 12, verse 13. We are to love our enemies. That's 12, verse 14. And he said to us last week, we are to even love the government. That's chapter 13, verses 1-7. through But maybe you're asking this morning, is there a limit to our love? How much love do we have to give to one another? Well, Paul adds a new dimension to Christian love. That is that we are to love continually. Christian love is to have an enduring quality. But the Apostle Paul begins his teaching on the enduring quality of love in a funny place. Did you see that in verse 7? He starts talking about debt. Verse 7, pay to all what is, this is an important word, owed them. Taxes, revenue, respect, and honor. And folks, this is a very simple truth in verse 7. Pay your debts. Paul says pay all kinds of debts, whether it's a debt to the government, whether it's a credit card, whether you have a friend who loans you money. Here is the first application this Sunday Sunday morning. If you have a debt, pay it off. I know, it's a profound truth. If you have a debt, you should pay it off. And here's where Paul leads us in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. The same word there, owe. Pay all to what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love one Another, what he's saying is that we're all in debt. Every single person in here is in debt to love. You are in debt to love. 
It's the same word, philo. You know that feeling when you owe someone money? That's how you ought to feel about loving for one another. That when you have a debt that you need to pay off, so is that debt applicable, that feeling applicable with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it doesn't matter if you're a millionaire. It doesn't matter if you have so much money you don't know what to do with it. Every single person in this room has an outstanding debt of love. Origin, the early church father, puts it this way, the debt of love remains with us permanently. It never leaves us. It is a debt we pay every day. It is a debt we forever owe. Love your neighbor continually, Paul says. Every day. And so when you do someone a favor, it's not that you're doing it, or you do them a favor, it's not because you're doing it as a favor. Or you're doing it to get something out of them. You do it for someone because you owe it to them. Because you love them. Now some people have said that this verse means that you can never take out a loan. That a Christian can never have a line of credit. Have you ever heard this? But this is not what Paul is saying. In fact, if that is what Paul is saying, then he's contradicting other parts of the Bible. Because the Bible says that there are times when it's appropriate to have a loan. In fact, if you turn with me to Exodus chapter 22, if you turn with me to Exodus chapter 22, verse 25, God seems, in fact, to even bless those who give out loans. Exodus chapter 22, verse 25, God says, if you lend money to any of my people who is with you, who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. Here God is assuming that we will give out loans when we have abundance. But what, we, what is forbidden is gouging the poor. That's what we used to call usury. Lending money so that you can get rich instead of helping others. That's what God forbids. Now, I have a second scripture reading I want you to turn with me to, and that's Psalm 37. Turn with me in your Bible, says Psalm 37. Here, David writes about those who give and receive loans. Psalm 37, verse 26. He says, He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Psalm 37, verse 26. David is saying that the person who lends alone from the spirit of generosity, that person is blessed. See, God does not condemn, keep a finger in Psalm 37, God does not condemn receiving a line of credit or a loan. In fact, if you need a loan and someone will generously give it to you, it is not sinful. Paul is not forbidding indebtedness what the Apostle Paul forbids is non-payment. You see that? He forbids non-payment. Go back to Psalm 37. I told you to keep a finger there. Look at verse 21. Psalm 37, verse 21. The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. And the righteous is generous and gives. It is not indebtedness that is forbidden. It's non-payment that's forgiven. Forbidden. 
It is not befitting of a Christian to borrow and not repay. John Murray, one of the preeminent New Testament scholars of our day, says this, few things bring greater reproach upon the Christian's profession than the accumulation of debt and the refusal to pay them. What does this have to do with love? That's that transition in verse 8. You are in debt. You have an indebtedness of love. That's the same word. Philo. Owe to no one anything except to love. And the same call to pay off your monetary debts in this life. Paul is calling you to pay the debt of love here in Trinity United Reformed Church. Pay the debt of love with, your stra- with strangers. Pay the debt of love with your enemies. Pay the debt of love with your government. It is the debt that we pay every day and forever owe. Now brothers and sisters, this is what God's law has always taught us. Didn't we see that this morning? from Jesus' summary of the law, all 613 laws in the Old Testament, Jesus says are summed up in this word, love God and love your neighbor. All summed up in one word, love. And Paul proves this by quoting a portion of the Ten Commandments. He only quotes four, because remember in this section of Romans, Paul is dealing with our relationships with one another. But if you look at all four, don't you see how love fulfills them? Look at all four of those laws and you can see how love fulfills them very clearly. The seventh commandment Paul starts with, you shall not commit adultery. Love. The one who loves their spouse will remain faithful in body and mind. Right? The sixth commandment Paul says, the law, you shall not murder. But love fulfills that the one who loves their neighbor will not endanger their life or safety. The Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Love, the one who loves their neighbor will care for them by preserving their property. The Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet. The one who loves their neighbor will rejoice in God's gift for them. You can summarize Paul's words simply as this. Love is the one law that fulfills all other laws. Love is the one law that fulfills all other laws. You want to fulfill the law, Roman Christians? You want to fulfill the law, Trinity United Reformed Church? Paul says, love. Just think about it. If you love God, you'll serve Him. You'll not bow down to any other God. You will not misuse His name you will regard Him as holy. And so it is with your brothers and sisters. If you really love them, Paul says, you will do them no wrong. Love is the one law that fulfills all laws. And so John Chrysostom, an ancient preacher, said this, love has two excellent qualities. It abstains from evil and it does what is good. See, the problem is we tend to think of obedience to God's law only in the negative. We only ever think of the abstaining. We read the Ten Commandments and thou shalt not, thou shalt not. We always think that's what we should avoid. But Paul says love is the command of the Lord. 
Love is what makes the commandments real, Paul says. Love is what fills them up. That's what fulfill means. It means filling them up to the brim. Love for God and love for your neighbor is what fills those commandments. It gives them life. It gives them staying power. There is power in love. I'll give you an example. Maybe you don't steal from your neighbor, but if you don't help your neighbor in times of need, you don't love them, Paul says it's stealing. Here's another example. Maybe you've never been found with another man or woman, but if you don't love your spouse, are you really being faithful to them? Boys and girls, maybe your brother and sister, you're not going to do what Cain did and take up a rock and slay his brother. But if you hate your brother, Jesus says, your brother, your sister, it's as if you've murdered them in your heart. See, what Paul is warning us against is just obeying the commandments on the outside. You can fulfill the commandments on the outside, but if you don't have love on the inside, you're not obeying the commandments. That's what Jesus says. Law-keeping is about loving God more than sin. Law-keeping is about loving your neighbor more than sin. And in this context, Paul says, the law is about actively loving other people. It's about laying your life down, not seeking your good. The sacrificial, self-giving love that seeks the good of others. You know what this means? This means that the heart of obedience, how someone obeys God's law, is not that I have to so that I can get to heaven. That's legalism. The heart of obedience isn't obligation. I have to obey God's law because my mom or my dad or my elders will be disappointed in me. No, Paul says the heart of God's law, the heart that obeys God, is the heart that loves Him. Love is powerful. Love is what keeps you from harming others and disobeying your God. See, boys and girls, when someone says to you, let's let's skip church and let's go do something more fun. Or maybe for our youth, let's skip church and let's go to work and let's make some more money. The heart of obedience says, no, I love God too much to sin against Him. He saw me in my sin and He sent Jesus for me and He saved me and He justified me and He's sanctifying me. How can I sin against Him? Here's another example. When Satan tempts you to look at something online that you shouldn't, you can strengthen your spirit by saying, I love God more than I love pornography. And I love that person as a son and a daughter made in the image of God. When we're tempted to covet someone else's money, someone else's spouse, someone else's gift, we need to love them by rejoicing in what God has given them. You see how love fulfills. Love is the motivating power 
It is the power of the law. And you know, Jesus really is that paradigm. One writer puts it this way, Jesus is the walking law of love. Amen. Jesus is the walking law of love. Because Paul, when Paul says love fulfills the law, he does not mean the love of self. He does not mean the ooey-gooey romantic love of Valentine's Day. The love that fulfills the law is the sacrificial, self-giving love of Jesus. He shows us more than anything what it means to love your neighbor like yourself. And this takes us right back to Romans 8, verse 4. If you have a Bible, go to Romans 8. Where Paul tells us that God has sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh in order, Romans 8, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Is Paul contradicting himself? Jesus has already fulfilled the law for you. Now you have to fulfill it by your love. No, Paul is not contradicting himself. The law is already fulfilled for you. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The law has no more condemning power. You are not trying to justify yourself by your love. But we fulfill the law of God simply out of love for Jesus, what He has done for us, and we reflect that for others. Paul is as clear as he could possibly be. The kind of love that fulfills is gospel love. That's what he's dealing with in Romans 12, verse 16. That we commit and we recommit ourselves to loving others. We should never say to someone, I have loved you enough. We should never say to someone, I don't need to keep on loving you. Because God never said that to you and to me. So Paul has told us in Romans 12, we need to love our neighbors by contributing to the needs of the saints in Jesus. We need to love by showing hospitality in Jesus. Blessing those who persecute you in Jesus. Living in harmony with one another in Jesus. Living peaceably with all men as much as you are able in Jesus. Putting away all desire for revenge in Jesus. Giving food and drink to your enemy in Jesus. Love for Jesus is the spring and the foundation of love. Loving your neighbor continually. One word of application, brothers and sisters. Remember that if you wait for your neighbor to deserve your love, you're going to be waiting a long time. If you wait for your spouse or your children or whoever to deserve your love, they will never meet your requirements. Paul is saying we love because we have been loved. We love because God has been patient and kind and loving towards you should we not show that to others. So go back to verse 8. Oh, no one anything except to love. There is only one debt you have not finished paying and that is the debt of love. Think about it if a husband said to his wife, I have loved you enough. 
Or a mother said to her children, I don't need to love you anymore. It's unthinkable. Neither should a redeemed saint say to another Christian, I don't need to love you anymore. We must love continually as we have been loved in Christ. And so here's the simple application, my friends. Are you estranged from someone? Is there someone in your life who you have said, you have pushed me too far, I cannot love you anymore? Paul is saying, look to Jesus, see His love for you, and reflect it to one another. Secondly, we need to first love our neighbors continually, but secondly, we need to love, or excuse me, serve Jesus supremely. We need to serve Jesus supremely. Our ESV Bible uh, says, Pew Bible says in verse 11, besides this, you can even translate this uh, literally, and this, or even more so. See, loving your neighbor and serving Jesus are closely related. Read them together. Verse 10 and 11. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come. Here, Paul is referring to the return of Jesus. He is going to come back soon. Will He find you loving your neighbor and serving Him? See, notice in verse 12 that Paul describes our whole Christian lives as one day. That's important for this point. Paul describes our whole Christian life as one day. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. And so Paul says in this day, verse 11, you need to wake up. Verse 12, you need to get dressed. Verse 13, you need to walk. Verse 14, you need to make provisions. You need to live, brothers and sisters, like today is your last day. That will change how you love people. You think, I don't have tomorrow. It's not guaranteed. We need to serve Jesus like He's coming tomorrow. Because the day is short. The hour is at hand. Notice the first thing Paul says in the Christian life, that one day, is that you have to wake up. Verse 12, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. There's two parts of salvation. You have salvation now, and you have salvation future. There is a future part of salvation. There is a coming experience that we will have once Jesus returns. Salvation is already and not yet. It is here and it is coming. Beloved, hear me today. Jesus is coming again. And one day, you will hear that trumpet sound. And the Bible tells us that all of the dead in Christ will be raised. You will be raised from the dead. Unless you were alive, still living, you will be caught up to meet Jesus in the air. And He will take us, His bride, to be with Him in the new Jerusalem, heaven on earth, where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. That's what Paul is saying. Jesus is coming again. And even though sometimes we think, 
I can't love that person. I can't serve Jesus for whatever reason it might be. Paul's point is, as one pastor says, you can handle anything on earth when your focus is on heaven. We can love our neighbors, even our enemies, when we remember the day is short. Jesus will be here soon. We can make amends with our family when we think, this is my last day. We can get right with God. Brothers and sisters, the day is at hand. Don't wait around. Make things right today. Now what's the first thing you do once you wake up? You get dressed. I hope. Paul says the night is far gone. The dawn is almost here. The alarm clock is about to go off. So Paul says let us get dressed. Cast off the works of the darkness and put on the armor of light. Boys and girls, this made me think of what we learned about this year at VBS. That every day of our lives, we need to put on the armor of God. Do you remember that? When a Christian wakes up, spiritually speaking, we don't wake up in paradise, do we? When your eyes are open to Christ, you wake up in the trenches. You wake up on the battlefield. And let's be clear about it, brothers and sisters. On that battlefield, Satan wants nothing more than to kill you. We need to put on that belt of truth every day. We need to put on the breastplate of Jesus' blood and righteousness. We need to put on the shoes of God's peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. We should not go a single day without being dressed for spiritual battle. Wake up. Get dressed. He's coming soon. And we need to be faithful soldiers of Jesus. That's what Paul means by the armor of light. It's a curious phrase, the armor of light. That we need to be faithful witnesses to Jesus. Scholars think that the Roman soldiers because they stood in that gleaming Middle Eastern sun, or that hot Middle Eastern sun, and they stood with their metal armor, that they would have glittered in the sun. And you would have been able to see them from far away shining. And you could say, that person is a soldier of the emperor. He is a servant of the king. And so when Paul says, that you need to put on the armor of light, in many ways he's referring to that same idea, we must be dressed so that we can be a beacon to our friends and family. So that we can serve Jesus and love our neighbors. Isn't this what Christ said of our love as well? That they will know you by your love. You see, love is often that magnet of the Gospel. It's what draws people to Jesus. That's what the Tertullian said in the old ancient world. That when people compared Judaism and the cult of Rome and all the other pagan gods and they looked at the Christians, they said, oh, how they love one another. Now Paul tells us how to walk. Wake up. 
get dressed, how to walk. Some time ago I read a study that said the most effective deterrent to inner city crime was not police, de- police presence, was not a neighborhood watch. The most effective deterrent to inner city crime was streetlights. When we're in the light, when we live in front of people, we live righteously. Paul says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. See, here he's mentioning sins that happen in darkness. Sins not befitting children of light. Paul says, live visibly. Orgies and drunkenness. Those are things done in darkness because people know they are wrong. Sexual immorality and sensuality. I know that culture is changing. Now these are being said to be virtues. But you need to live in the light. When God says homosexuality and orgies and promiscuity are sins, and when Jesus returns, is this how we want Him to find us? We need to live our lives as if Jesus can see everything because He can. And as if we are walking in front of people who look and see our witness. Allow me to add here, brothers and sisters, that God sees in the darkness. You can delete your internet history, but God sees it. You can hide from mom and dad, but He knows no secrets are hidden from Him. This is why Paul says sexuality and sensuality, and then he adds quarreling and jealousy. Those are secret, invisible things in the inner recesses of our hearts, but they're not secret to God. Wake up. Get dressed, how to walk, and what provision to make. The day is short. What is the most important thing to have before eternity? If your house was on fire, you know, the kids ask those questions. What's the one thing you would grab? The world is moving towards its completion. What's the one thing you'll grab onto? The Bible says it will be, this world will be consumed, it will be purified by fire. What is the one provision you need? Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus. That put on word is very intimate, referring to clothing. You need to take Jesus for yourself. To put on Christ means to embrace His righteousness. That's to put on His Spirit. To put on His grace. To put on the new man. This is that final completing part to fulfilling the law. Paul's speaking about sanctification, but here he speaks about justification. You need to be made right with God. What an amazing truth that we serve Jesus supremely by receiving Him in faith. Brothers and sisters, the day is short. The time is at hand. The alarm clock is going off. Jesus will be here soon. How will He find you? Are you clothed in fig leaves? And your own rags? Or are you clothed in Jesus? Serving Him supremely by loving Jesus your neighbors
continually. As we come to the Lord's table, let us go in mind that he has come for sinners such as us. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us this great love for Jesus because he has so loved us. We know that we would never have chosen you, O God, but because you have chosen us with a love so amazing, a love so divine, we can give to you our life, our all. We can give everything to Jesus. Give everything to our neighbors. And so, Father, we know that the time is short. We know that Jesus will be here soon. And so we pray, God, that you would prepare our hearts. May we love one another as you have called us to. May we serve you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.